Okay, if your Bibles will be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17, particularly verse 17 this morning. Let's read. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, be gracious during our time together in Your Word. Father, stir hearts, stir minds. Father, for Your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let me start with a couple observations. Some of us like talking about the armor of God. While many of us, including even some who may like to speak of the armor of God, functionally or practically fail, I think, often to see its usefulness. How else could we explain the lack of doing so? We certainly do the things we find useful, we participate in the things we find beneficial. So, why else would we oftentimes, many of us, not engage, not use the armor of God, not study it deeply and understand it and apply it efficiently and often? And I had to think this past week about this. How can, we don't, how can we don't see an urgency? How come I, I Russ, I, I think would agree with me, we don't see an urgency even amongst us? How can many of us leave this discussion at church or at gym quest or at house gathering? How come many of us don't realize we're in the midst of spiritual warfare? And I... Maybe that is why we don't see the usefulness of the arm, because we don't recognize we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. So let's ask that question. How can we don't recognize, maybe, that we're, not in, the, that we're in the midst of spiritual warfare? For some of us, how, maybe how can we don't even experience spiritual warfare, maybe? is maybe another, even better question. Or if we do, it certainly isn't being attacked. I have a couple thoughts here as we break into this. First is this, if you're not actively and consistently fierce in the fight to believe the gospel, day in, day out, then you will not meet much resistance in spiritual warfare. Instead, you will be played for the other team. And sadly, you may not even realize it. Notice I said that a certain way. I didn't say that if you're not consistently reading your Bible, praying, going to church... Those are all things that should be a part of producing and a part of working towards fighting the fierce 
fight to believe the gospel in all things. And sadly, again, I think we may not even realize it. This is something that has perplexed me greatly over the past month. Just trying to work through the, the, the question of, all right, so there's this issue of getting us to realize that there's spiritual warfare. That's what Paul's trying to do. But then there's this underlying tone in this passage that, uh, in this whole book, that you could be used by Satan for his cause. And so then the question then as a shepherd, how do you help people see that? How do you help them recognize that? And honestly, it just, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. Now the reason it hurts my heart is because like Jesus looks out on the sheep without a shepherd, he has great compassion on them. That level of compassion and heart hurting is good. But the other part of it, and where I've had to come down is that it simply depends, just as Ephesians 2 speaks about, it depends on the work of God to open the eyes of that person to see for which they fight. I want to ask a couple questions as we think about this. How do I kind of, how do I begin to think about, am I fighting for the wrong team, if you will? Or why am I not even recognizing that much spiritual warfare? Right? What, what's going on? I mean, I, I watch guys like John Piper and, you know, and David Platt and Al Mo. I mean, all these guys, and, and they're like just guys that I respect. You know, you read older gentlemen like, like J.C. Ryle and, and J.I. Packer and and the Puritans like Jonathan Edwards and Jeremiah Burroughs and Richard Sibbs. And, and you read these guys and you just go, they're aware of something going on that I am just clueless to. Paul clearly is aware of something that the Ephesians are clueless to. At least to the extent to which he's aware of it. Let me ask you a couple questions. Where am I finding my satisfaction? Where am I finding my hope? Where am I finding my satisfaction? Where am I finding my hope? These are questions we ask all the time as a church. I want to ask them again because that's Paul's point in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Where's your hope? Where's your satisfaction? It's got to be in the gospel. It's got to be in the gospel. If you're fighting that fight, you will have spiritual warfare. The enemy will not leave you alone. Your flesh will not leave you alone. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's all about the gospel. It's about finding hope in the gospel. Everything he says in 4, 5, and 6, even today, is irrelevant without the hope of the gospel in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So where am I finding hope? Where am I finding my satisfaction? Is it in life looking a certain way? My relationships looking a certain way? Is it in people acting a certain way? Listen, anywhere other than the gospel, if your hope is being found in anywhere other than the gospel, in those moments, you are contributing to the cause of Satan. You are contributing to spiritual warfare not on behalf of the cross. Second question. <clears throat> Am I living righteously because of this gospel? You see, see that's the, see, that's the thing. Like, if you can't answer rightly to the first question, then the second question necessarily is failed. So am I living righteously because of the gospel? Not just am I living righteously, but am I living righteously because of the gospel? I think most of us probably live righteously. 
That's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. So here's the question. Would people who matter characterize me as humble, wise, faithful? Right? So would they characterize you in the way that chapters 4, 5, and the beginning of 6 characterize those who believe the gospel, right? Four, five, and six are the characteristics of those who believe the gospel. So would people who actually have a valid opinion uh, and assessment and view into your life say that four, five, and six line up with chapters one, two, and three? And then my question, my second question to that is, why don't you ask them? And regularly ask You know, it's amazing, is that your pastors, both of us, we just, we just re- and, and get asked to help assess someone's life. We just, we just re- and, and, and that's a, a grace to you that I would encourage you to take advantage of. But you know what I've noticed is that no one's afraid to give their assessment of other people. So here's the question, are my righteous acts motivated by the other alternative is love for self. So Paul's saying in 4, 5, and 6, these righteous acts are going to be motivated by this gospel in chapters 1, 2, and 3. In 4, 5, and 6, these righteous acts are going to be motivated by this gospel in chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is what Ephesians is about. Believe the gospel. Now live free, good, and wise because of the gospel pulsing through your veins. And you know, here's, here's Paul's, believe it, big, like, at least, guess what's coming? Gospel, believe it, live in light of the gospel, guess what's coming? War. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. You're going to face darts. You're going to feel like everything is coming up against you. Most citizens, as I thought about the experience war, experience spiritual warfare like most citizens of the United States experience warfare. There are people out there fighting the fight, fighting the battle. In this case, oftentimes pastors, missionaries. But we think about servicemen and ladies who are fighting and losing their lives, and we hear about it on our social feed. We give it a nod. And off to spiritual warfare with life going on out there, but, you know, and warfare. We kind of see that going on out there, but, you know, and then we stub our toe, and it's like all war has broken out on us. Listen, if you're going to fight for satisfaction only in the gospel of Jesus, to believe only the promises of the Father, and to live right, you need God's armor. Need not. So I would encourage you. I mean, obviously, like the the inverse of this, I think should be I encourage you. I mean, obviously, like the the inverse of this, I think should be helpful. And that is, if I don't feel a need to continually be putting on the armor, then what am I fighting for? We need not just any armor, but God's armor. It's us to receive. Now, Paul, two items. There one before us to receive these last two items. Now, before in these other items, there was a sense of stand and put on these things and put on these things and stand. Now, Paul changes the imperative. He changes the verb. He he changes it to this idea of receive, to to to. To have, to, to be given of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. He changes the tone. Paul's concern here, he changes the tone. Paul's concern here is that we understand this almighty power that God has exercised for our good when He rescued us. That we would take a hold of that. That we would receive that. 
back and read Ephesians 1, 19 through. To receive salvation as if we don't. Listen, Paul's not telling us here to receive salvation as if we don't have it already. He's telling us that we need to be constantly appropriating that salvation by faith. I'll define that in a second. This is what we learn and practice in DNA, in community, in related to you. Discover the root of our sin. And in these moments when we discover it and consistently depend on the Spirit to turn your faith toward the gospel, in those moments, right, daily, this should be happening. Turning from sin to right belief, to faith in the gospel. When that happens, this is the beautiful picture of appropriating salvation. Kant is the beautiful picture of appropriating salvation constantly by faith. And this is what Paul is telling us to do in this passage. This passage. In the context of this passage, you've got to understand that the beliefs of the culture was such that spiritual forces of the air and heavens controlled the people's fate. It controlled their outcome, that where they would go, their, their measure of success, so on and so forth, their, their fate. Paul is saying to those in Ephesus, already done, don't have to fear such power because of all that God has already done for you in Jesus. You don't have to fear these things. I would commend to you that this is our struggle too. Just most of us aren't going around thinking about, you know, the spiritual forces, which is kind of Satan's scheme. We fear so many different things. We fear many other things control our fate. What what do you mean, Matt? What do you mean, Pastor? Listen, whatever you feel as though you cannot live without, that is what controls your fate in your mind. Go back just a second. I don't make sure it tells us otherwise. Whatever you might fear, listen, it might even be a good thing. It might be the success controls your fate. It might be a good thing. It might be the success of your kids. That them, it might even be your kids growing up and loving Jesus. And that could be the thing you believe controls your fate. Because your success, your identity rests upon. So go from that raising of kids who fear God. So go from that to any other slew of also including things like immorality. But whatever you believe as though, feel as though, have, that you cannot go without, that is fear, and that item or items control your fate. You believe it does. But Paul tells us otherwise. Paul tells the Christians otherwise. He says this, protect the mind, fill it with hope of salvation in Christ. Protect the mind, fill it with the hope of salvation in Christ. Look at Ephesians 6.17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. And take and receive the helmet of salvation. Let's talk about this helmet just briefly. Roman helmets, right? Made of tough, sponge type material. Made the weight of it. The side was lined with like a sponge type material made the weight of it somewhat bearable. Nothing short of an axe could penetrate these helmets. Listen to Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Understand what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying Yahweh, the victorious warrior, even he wears this helmet of salvation. Eight, so another letter by Paul. But since we belong to the day, that would be us here now, let us be sober. Today, that would be us here now, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith 
and love and for a helmet, for a helmet, we should put on the hope of salvation. Again, he calls it the hope of salvation. So God's people, hear me, are to put on the hope they have in Jesus. You go, okay, we, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Salvation. We are talking here, Paul's talking here about the idea of protecting the mind. Talking here, Paul's talking here about the idea of protecting the mind. We should go to God daily and be reminded of the great object of our faith. Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not. And and, and many times it takes tragedy to bring us to this realization. But our only possible. We want to place our hope in other things. Again, even a certain way. We want church to feel a certain way. Maybe we want our family life to look a certain way. Now I know, I know, we're, we are great at just. Maybe we want our family life to look a certain way. Now I know, I know, we're, we are great at justifying these things. Where does your heart and mind run to for hope? Listen, if you're trusting in Jesus as your only hope, then you will have no room to listen to the devil's lies. So put your helmet on. Don't let the evil one get to your head. One thing I've just been dreadfully discouraged by, again, this kind of goes back to my first few thoughts, is, to sit across the table from someone who doesn't even realize Satan has gotten into their head. Why do we have such a hard time with making decisions truly for the good of others, no matter the cost to us? Why do we have such a hard time with that? Sin or not? Why do we have such a hard time with trusting God's functional authority in our lives? with trusting God's functional authority in our lives? Why do we have such a hard time with building relationships with people unlike us? Or why do we have such a hard time going to our neighbor or co-worker to share the gospel or even just simply invite them to church? All of these and many more are connected to the hope of salvation and whether or not you are believing too. And for us, say of it. Instead of receiving the salvation that is all, they are standing in the way and say, you know what, I can rest here where this leads us. Because, you know what, no matter where this leading, as long as it's not to clear sin, no matter where this leading is, this leading, as long as it's not to clear sin, no matter where this leading is taking me, my destiny is at rest. Some of us should seek exhortation because salvation and others' fate, right, looks to us like altogether. And others thinking highly of us. The hope of salvation practically begins to look like Satan's schemings. Transparent and raw. If I could be a little... I've dealt a lot with shame over the past few months. I've dealt a lot with shame over the past few months. Nothing immoral came over the past few months. Nothing immoral. But the actions of another have exposed some unbelief in my heart, in my life, in my mind. Exposed some unbelief brought on these thoughts in my life. Shame. Mind. That has brought on these thoughts and emotions of shame. So in my mind, I began, and to some extent, still dealing with shame. Shame is preached to ourselves. 
It's a thought we perpetuate. The only it's a thought we perpetuate. The onslaught of the devil in my own life can be seen. You're not worthy. You messed up. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You messed up. You're not good enough. Even worried about what others may think of me. Oh, he messed up. I wonder what he did wrong. You see, the answer, though, is this. Here, most of us, we experience an issue like this. We try to downplay it in some fashion. But the answer is not to ignore shame through play the shame. Battlefield. It's to look, right? Through the map. It's not to get off the map. It's to shame. To what? To the hope. The addition. In many ways, the past few months has been the journey of my own heart and mind to put on the hope of salvation, to protect my mind, which impacts salvation, my heart, to protect my mind, doings. You see, my salvation began with not being shameful, with not feeling shame. But you see, my salvation began with not being shameful, with not feeling shame. I just don't want to feel shame. No wonder despair in my heart was rampant. I don't want to feel shame. But Hebrews 12.2 tells us this. was ramp- Looking to Jesus, our faith. Listen, who for the two tells us this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of him, endured the cross. What the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What did the cross include? Did he downplay the shame? Did he push aside the shame? No, he says he despised the shame. The shame for the joy set before had no impact on Jesus. He looks through it. The hope of glory. The hope of exaltation. The hope of his Father keeping his promises. The hope of exaltation. This is what Jesus does. He is appropriate keeping his, if you will, salvation. looks through this shame. Not salvation creating if you will, salvation in his mind. Not salvation in the same way we think he would be seated victorious. This is what Jesus does in this passage. He looks through it. He puts on, in that moment, he he looks through it of salvation. He puts, I would argue he never, in that moment, he puts on the helmet. In my life, in many ways, the past couple months has been this fight to look for many ways. The past, whether it's real or not, and put on the hope of salvation. And put on the hope of salvation. You know, now conveniently, this is very connected with Paul's next words. Paul says this. Let me, or let me give you the point, and then we'll read the passage. Paul's next, speak the gospel. Paul says this. Let me, or let me give you the point, and then we'll read the passage. Speak the gospel. Speak the gospel. For it is good news for a brother. Speak the gospel. For it is good news for a broken world, including you and me. Speak the gospel. Why don't we speak the gospel? What speak the gospel? Why don't we speak the gospel? Why don't we speak it to ourselves? It's not unoften for me to call upon Rusty or my wife, or John, and just say, I just need someone to speak the gospel to me, to remind me. Paul says in 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See that? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's talk about that for a few moments. Paul is calling us to actually speak the gospel. 
See, the word of God here, I think if you study the context, prayed and Greg preached, if you read the context, right, the gospel, the feet, or feet ready, like, like Tiff, I think he's in preach last week. Like, the whole Bible, although the whole Bible certainly has application, because feet ready with the gospel, like, rightly is preached. The whole Bible, although the whole Bible certainly has application, because the whole Bible, if understood rightly, is preaching the gospel. But that's what he means specifically here. The whole Bible, if understood, I believe, is preaching the gospel. But that's what he means specifically here, I believe, is the actual gospel of salvation, the good news of the gospel, as he said earlier, gospel of peace. Man reconciled to God. So speak the gospel with the good news text. He is telling us he mean work through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ. Of God's redeemed. He's telling us to wage war. Resurrection of his son Jesus Christ. That's how he's telling us to wage war. But here I want to point out to you this this item here of our armor is the only offensive portion of our armor. It's the only offensive piece. It's a proactive movement, not a defense. It's a movement, not a defensive stance. Do you hear me? Isn't that, isn't that what happens? Isn't that what's we are broken people who, if God chooses, become rescued people who then go rescue people. Right? It doesn't ever stop with just us being rescued. It goes with us being rescued to go preach the gospel, to go share the gospel. We are called to pick up the sword and engage the enemy. Pick up the sword and engage the enemy. So, men, let me ask you, on behalf of your family, are you picking up the sword and engaging the enemy? Ladies, let me ask you, with fierceness and courage, are you picking up the sword and defending your family? Like going after, proactively pushing back Satan's push into your family. Learning and using the gospel for the benefit, proactively learning and using the gospel for the benefit of your family. Maybe mom and dad can help flesh that out for you today and this week. Uh, in the happen, remind that little small of um, uh, in the Hobbit, right? And he's got that little small sword, and they're kind of making uh, in the Hobbit, right? And he's got that little small sword, and they're kind of making fun of him the whole time. And at least in the movie, they do. Uh, not the whole time. Part of the time they make it was meant for close combat. Real sword, right? It, that's the idea. It's just small. Why? Why? It was meant for close combat. It was meant for up close, intimate fighting. How close? In your heart and in your mind. That's how close. Listen, that's a closer battle than any other battle you could possibly fight. So we listen. That's a closer battle than any other battle you could possibly fight. So we need to be careful, though, about, so if we think about this, being on the offensive, proclaiming the gospel. Here's the warning. We need to be careful about what we are most, it's got to be the gospel. At least primarily. It's got to be the gospel. At least primarily. You see and just because it is a biblical idea doesn't mean that our certain agenda primary and just because it is a biblical we've got to be careful the we've got to be careful coming from our mouths spiritual freedom that comes through faith in the gospel what are we trumpeting the loudest What are we trumpeting the loudest? We need to be careful that we aren't proclaiming the gospel of our preferences. 
to other people, whether good or bad preferences. Again, what is the primary proclamation of our hearts, minds, of our Facebook? What's our pro- I'm not saying we can't and shouldn't stand up for other things that are important or that we shouldn't help guide people. Proclamation. And you see, I think most, but what's our primary proclamation? And you see, I think most of us, most often, primary proclamation. And you see, I think most of us, most often, take up the sword and proclaim our own gospel to protect our own kingdom. We say things like this, not, not verbally, we would never say something like this verbally. My life is so much happier, fulfilled even, when other people around me are acting or treating me. As, it becomes a, you're going to proclaim that and make sure that that happens. You're going to proclaim, we take up the sword and make sure that that happens. Gospel and we begin moving heaven and earth to make sure that everyone else is lining up. That kind of do. The sun. Begin moving heaven and earth. I mean, you could pick a thousand. Again, wherever you do the finding hope at, satisfaction at, like, that. When you peer through and of getting that, to have that, everything will be okay. Then you're going to proclaim the gospel and of getting that right there. And you're going to tell everyone else that that's what's most worthy of treasuring right there. But this is not the gospel of salvation. This is not what Paul is talking about. This gospel says, if, I, if I'm going to take the, the example that I just gave about, I, this gospel says, if, I, if I'm going to take the, the example that I just gave about, I, about my life so much happier and fulfilled when others around me are treating me a certain way, that that is my gospel, so I'm going to move heaven and earth to make that happen. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says I can die to myself for the good of others. Why? Because I'm alive where? In the Listen, as we move into talking about in the book of Jonah, you will be on fire and excited during these times of Jonah. You will be on fire and excited during these times if you have the helmet on and are ready to speak. Excited during these times if you have the helmet of salvation on and are ready to speak the gospel and to die to self. If not, to speak the gospel and to die to self. If not, you will have a hard time. Listen, this is what it looks like to take the enemy. Take the gospel, love and care towards others. It looks like other things too, but in this example, that's what it looks like. Care towards others. It looks like other things too, but in this example, that's what it looks like. Preaching to ourselves the gospel. That's not all Paul says here. He also says for the effectiveness. Because here's what it For the effectiveness. It would depend on the spirit that putting on the army, fighting the battle, and all the stuff that it's all dependent on us. I think on the army, fighting the battle, the spirit, right? So back to the verse. The sword, you see the sword of the spirit, right? So back to the verse. The sword of the spirit, meaning that the spirit makes, right? So back to the verse. The sword of the spirit, meaning that the spirit makes the sword powerful, and effective. So it's not, you gotta be careful here. Spirit is something that we get to yield, right? Like a lightsaber. No, it's the gospel that we get to hold, right? Like a lightsaber. No, it's the gospel that we get to go to war with. And the spirit is what makes that effective. Maybe even anxiety or hopelessness. I know for me, it's some tension, maybe even anxiety or hopelessness. Someone see that they're being used. Help someone see that they're being used by Satan. How do you, how do you help? They're being used by Satan. How do, you, how do you help? Listen, we proclaim the gospel it was, first of all, hard just to simply speak the gospel. 
And second of all, it's hard to trust the Spirit to simply speak the gospel. And second of all, it's hard to trust the Spirit. I mean, unless, unless you get words, but I don't. It's hard. I, don't, I want to trust my ability to use words to convince people. Listen, we are given access, as one commentator said, to the weaponry of the Messiah for battle when we are united with him. We're given access to the weapon, I mean, like the weaponry in which he already defeated Satan. That weaponry in which he has already defeated Satan. That armory is ours. It's ours. Darkness. So that those who are held by the evil one may go free. That is our calling. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. My hope is over this next year that all of us would fall more in love with Jesus so that we might a movie they like to watch it a thousandness. I've been watching Prince of Egypt uh, lately. Uh, times, and they've been watching Prince of Egypt uh, lately. Uh, thanks to the Johnsons. Um, but it was so good. Right? I mean, they, they kind of embellish a lot of things, but you still get the theme of bondage and rescue. Bondage and rescue. Of bond- so I've been having these conversations with Bond Chapman and Hayden about slavery. I've been having these conversations with Chapman and Hayden about slavery and the pain and the brokenness and God's rescue. So thankful for those opportunities. I want my boys to experience freedom from their sin and hopefulness when they do sin. See, that's what they have, not. You see, our confidence is not in our abilities. It cannot be. But it's got to be in the ability of the armor to withstand assault. Okay? So we're going to be careful. Because we want to be people who do, 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 and get credit, credit, credit. And the thing is, is if, if that's where your confidence lies... You might as well go to a theme because they read out to believe. See, one, one person I read, I, he says this, if we begin to believe that our spiritual protection rests on our degree of spiritual discipline, then our virtues become tools of unbelief in which we deny the need of grace and assert the rule on this self. You see, we don't put on this armor and trust in our ability to do so. We shouldn't gain confidence from our doing. Instead, we grow in confidence of the armor and rest in it and use it when, on Scripture's authority, we believe that God is describing as He sees it real as the armor Paul is describing as he sees it from the jail cell floor. It's as real. This protection on me is just as real as what Paul saw as he was in chains. Recently I was trying to shepherd someone through sin, lack of wisdom and humility. I spend many hours in regular prayer I'm totally fine. I spend many hours in regular prayer. I read my Bible very frequently. I do this and I do that. Listen, the assurance of rightness in this person's life was their own doings. But couldn't you do all those things 
like the Pharisees did in the flesh. Again, for not gospel reasons, but for self-righteous reasons. But for self-righteous reasons. Listen, our confidence in the battle should never be simply our doing. Our confidence must always be in God's provision of the armor. In His protection, His care, His armor. That's where we rest at. His doing. I imagine a, a policeman, right? He's got a vest on, a bulletproof vest. Right? But what did the protection? The armor did in the battle. You see, our you see, our hope must be like at the core. Is, this, is there human effort in resisting sin in the battle? Yes, there is. There takes human effort. That's the effort in resisting sin. In Someone I read this week said this: Our habitual godliness is a means that the Holy Spirit. This week said this: Our habitual godliness as a means that the Holy Spirit uses to increase our faith, inform our mind, daily disciplines of holiness, and expect to be well not neglect the warfare. And expect muscled for spiritual warfare. Resistance is faith in God's promises. Core of our resistance is faith in God's promises. Satan does not want us to believe, confess, and stand upon God's words. He doesn't want us to do that. Why? He attacked that in the garden. Our confidence in God's acceptance based on wants to rob us of own. Knowing that the freedom, joy, and courage provided by the unyielding love of God, knowing that the freedom, joy, and courage provided by the unyielding love of God unleashes the Spirit's power in us to repel the unyielding love of God, unleashes the Spirit's power in us to repel Satan's wiles and warfare. We press in. What's Jesus doing as he looks through the shame? God has said. What's he doing when he's in temptation in the garden? God has said. What's he doing in the wilderness in the garden? God has said. What's he doing when he's out in the wilderness? God has said. This is my faith. That's what I trust. Not my own doings, but the Father. You see, Jesus was the pioneer of this perfect faith. He believed without a doubt the good news of his Father. And so in every situation, every situation, salvation was always in the hope of his Father. And this only constantly different than ours on this hope. Again, it's a little different than ours, certainly. He never sinned. But he still had hope in the, he never rescuing work. Always. Never doubted. So let me encourage us with the, never doubted. So let me encourage us with these words. Let us turn our eyes to the good news of Jesus. Let us believe the words of his Father and ours. And then let us marvel at the work of the Spirit. You see, the difficulty of the situation is this. Fight for faith in the Gospel. Live then in light of the Gospel. Know the satisfaction and joy that's therein. And the darts of the enemy come. They come. That's difficult.
And the more you press in, the more they'll come. As the wounds stack high, the Father, as the wounds stack high, the Father is there saying, depend on me. This is for your good. Keep your eyes on the day that my, to my presence. The day evil is bound up and the day you enter in. The day evil is bound up and the day you enter into eternal rest. Keep your eyes on my son of salvation and take up the sword. Receive the helmet of the spirit of salvation and take up the sword of his father. We want to put on so many different helmets. Hope of a life best spent. security, or the hope of a church family that's, or the hope of a church family that's, look, of a church family that's, looks more like a collection of different Jesuses rather than a collection of those whom Jesus has rescued. And then we walk out onto the field for warfare. And like it for war pincushions. And like it's been said before, we end up like pincushions. Arrows sticking all over the place, coming out of our bodies. My Father, there is hope only in your Son Jesus. Only in your Son, Jesus. Give us that conviction. Show us the emptiness of our current pursuits of hope. Show us the emptiness of those. Show us the distance salvation in. Quickly, want satisfaction. Leave us quickly, wanting more. So that we... Thank you. Amen. Find you.